Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you here this morning. Welcome to Redeemer Church. Each of us has come from a different place and a different place in our lives, each from different backgrounds um, and each with a different story, uh, a different story of our life, a different story of faith and our faith journey. Still, from different stories and different basis of starting, God has been in work, at work in each of our lives and through scarcity in each of our lives. And through it all, we have also experienced times of abundance because you can't have times of scarcity without knowing times of abundance in our lives. And through it all, through it all, whether it's been times of scarcity or times of abundance, God is with us, always. Well, today we are in week two of our extraordinary teaching series. Not that it is not extraordinary, but that's the title of the series. We're looking at the Old Testament family of Naomi and Elimelech and their daughter-in-law, Ruth, through the month of October. And last week, we looked at some of the real-life events uh, that took Elimelech and Naomi to the, to the place of Moab and and, the, and what brought Naomi back to Bethlehem without her husband and without her sons and only her daughter-in-law. And today we're going to begin in Bethlehem. And the situation is not great for Naomi. It really isn't. And it's not that great for Ruth either. But perception is really important. Perception is, is very important. The way you look at things truly does matter and it, and it shapes our lives. It's essential. And I have come to realize that some of the greatest opportunities in my personal life, like in my personal life, the greatest opportunities in my life have often presented themselves first as problems. And I don't know if that's a, a, something that you've realized in your life or not, but um, I, I believe that for, for Ruth and for Naomi as well, that in the text we'll find that some of the greatest opportunities that they've experienced have also first presented themselves as problems in their life and in the text. And we're going to step deeper into the story of Naomi and Ruth today, and I think we're going to realize as we get to the end that sometimes when life gets hard, because real life is hard, when we take it one step at a time and we go with God one step at a time. Um, there's a movie in the 80s that I love, uh, What About Bob? Baby Steps. Just baby steps to the door. Bill Murray. I love Bill Murray. Um, just baby steps to the door. One step at a time. That we'll get there and God will see us through. Well, scarcity is a hard concept for many to imagine in our culture today. Uh, we live in a world of what seems to be abundance. I would venture to guess that there are some here today who lived through the Great Depression, or with people who lived through the Great Depression. I remember my grandfather um, and visiting his family, the, the family farm over in Wacousta. And uh, as someone who lived uh, through the Great Depression, um, the farm was full of stuff. He never threw anything away. Uh, he made a trailer once uh, out of uh, salvaged rebarb. There was more welding iron, uh, welding rod on the trailer than there was rebar, but you didn't throw anything away. Uh, my parents' generation grew up in homes of those who lived through the Depression, and they learned from that generation 
and they, they learned to value their resources as well. And some, some went to the same extreme, but the, they took on different names with their generation, uh, names like pack rat um, or, or hoarder. Um, but then there were others in their generation who went to the other extreme and said, I'm not going to be like that. And they, went, um, they leaned in the other direction and, and went to oversimplified lives. And then we move into my, my siblings' generation. And we seem to bounce back and forth. Sometimes we obsess about certain things and care nothing about other things. All you have to do is look at a social media stream to really see what sometimes current generations are obsessing about um, and what they're not. But what I, I think it teaches us and tells us is that Every generation struggles with the reality of scarcity and abundance because there is enough to go around, but we don't always have access to it. In a, in a country of all-you-can-eat buffets, um, we live in a world where, where children still die of starvation. Right? So we live in, we live in a time where it may not seem like scarcity is something we still deal with, but we still deal with it. It's not in the same level as those who lived in the Great Depression, and it manifests in different ways, but I think that everyone in this room has dealt with scarcity at some level or another, in some way or another, whether it be food or finances or relationships or, or some form of scarcity in their lives. And last week, we started talking about Naomi and Elimelech and, and, and Ruth and, and Orpah. And we talked about how life is hard sometimes. And that's actually real life. That's kind of ordinary life, is that life is hard. You know, millennials like to call it adulting, which kind of gets under my skin because this idea of adulting is really just real life that we've all dealt with our entire lives. And it's kind of hard to complain about real life to me because it's just what we do as people. We don't live in a fantasy world of easy choices. We live in a world where sometimes there isn't enough to go around. Sometimes we have to make the decision of which bill gets paid and which bill doesn't get paid. Sometimes we have to decide if we're going to cancel the cable or if we're going to sell the car to make a difficult move for a job or to move out of a house for a different house. Not because we want to, but because it's in the best interest for our family, or for our future, or for our career, or for whatever reason. Not because we want to, but because the situation demands that we make a choice. Still, it doesn't make it a bad thing. It doesn't necessarily make it bad. It just makes it life. You see, perception is important. Perception is important. It doesn't necessarily make it negative. It doesn't necessarily make it bad. It just makes it a part of our process. Just because life is hard for us sometimes doesn't mean that life is terrible. It doesn't mean that hard choices have to be negative all of the time. Scripture is clear that it's not a question of if troubles will come our way in our lives. It's, it's just a question of when. Right? No one's happy all the time. That would be kind of weird. 
Our lives have taught us um, to expect the unexpected. Right? We have terms for that, right, Murphy? We know that life gets hard, and so the question is, how do we respond to those hard choices, and, and how, how do we make those choices in our lives? And to find guidance this morning, we're going to turn back to Naomi, and we're going to turn back to Ruth, who find themselves in a similar situation when they return to Bethlehem. Now, Naomi was not happy to be home. Can you imagine that? I, I think about returning home as being a happy thing. I had a, a wonderful home life. I love going home, but not everyone has a happy home life, and not every homecoming is happy. I have friends that don't go home because home's not happy, and I understand that. And for Naomi, going home without her husband and without her two sons is not happy, and rightly so. I don't know any mother and wife who would ever be happy going home without her spouse and her children. It just, it's just, that makes complete sense to me. She's a widow with a foreign daughter-in-law, which may not mean anything to us, but in this time and culture, it does mean something. But this daughter-in-law, who is foreign, has committed her life to following her wherever she goes till her death, if you remember that from last week which is either the sweetest thing you've ever heard or the creepiest thing in the world. Has anyone ever pledged to follow you until they die? Besides your spouse? Either the most loving sentiment or a restraining order is in order, right? Like this is, this is the thing that Naomi is dealing with, going home to Bethlehem. It's all a matter of perspective, Right? Naomi and Ruth are back in Bethlehem and realize that they're both widows. They're both widows in a time when there was little support for widows in society. And in this time, the poor participated in a quasi-welfare system that was called gleaning. Anybody know or heard of gleaning before? Some of you have studied this before. It's, it's a very simple process of going through the fields after the harvesters and picking what's left off the ground. And gleaners would try to get what was left on the ground, hopefully enough to eat for the day. And this was quasi-welfare for the poor and the widows. Now, gleaning was dangerous work, though. It was, first, you had the harvesters, which were laborers who were paid to harvest the fields. All right? they, were, they were paid to harvest the fields, to get everything that they could out of the field. And if someone gleaned too close the harvesters, and it looked like they might be getting too much, then their job could be in jeopardy, and they could be in danger, because their bosses would say, you're not doing your job. You're fired, possibly. Their wages were on the line as a harvester. Gleaners were also in danger of other gleaners who might attack to steal the food that was collected. We're talking about people who were potentially starving. There were also the chance of robbers on the road or on the fields. And you can't overlook the fact that an unprotected young lady gleaning grain all by herself in a field could present potential other dangers. It's a reality, a reality of the situation. So here's how it happened. One day, Ruth and the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. 
Naomi replied, All right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters, and as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. While she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. The Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. Then Boaz asked his foreman, Who is that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? And the foreman replied, She is the young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She has been hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes' rest in the shelter. Boaz went over and said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go to any other field. Stay right behind the young woman working, the young women working in my field. See which part of the field they are harvesting, and then follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. And when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water they have drawn from the well. This is a big deal in the text of what just happened for Ruth in the field. We only can take one step at a time. We can only take one step at a time. Ruth and Naomi are living in a time of scarcity in their lives. Two widows, really with nothing to their name, because their property in Bethlehem. What they, what they would have owned as a family would have been held in, in ownership by Elimelech. Like that would have been the person responsible would have been the husband. And then the sons. And so they had nothing, which is evidenced by Ruth's need to actually go and glean. They're in a desperate situation, and they've reached the point where they have to make this hard and risky choice. Pride and personal, personal desire has to be set aside. And Ruth has to make a decision. I have to eat. We have to eat. I have to do something. Have you ever been in a point in your life where you've had to set your pride aside to do something difficult. Because that's where Ruth is. In the passage, Ruth uses a three-step process to guide her through this hard decision in life. First, Ruth sees a problem. Right? She sees the problem. They need food. The problem is identified. Second, Ruth considers... Um, what needs to happen. The best way to get food right now, that right now the best way that she can get food is by gleaning. So there's a, there's a process. I need to glean. That's, that's the, the way I can do it. I can't do, use our family property. I can't do anything else. I just need to glean. The third thing Ruth does is she takes one step, just one step at a time. Ruth goes one step at a time. Ruth goes to Naomi and gets her blessing. Then she goes to the field and she asks permission from the harvesters. Then she moves one step at a time, one small step, baby steps to the door. Baby steps to the elevator. Baby steps out of the building. One step at a time. I recently read a book called Eat That Frog. It's a great book if you've never read it. Read it. It's about procrastination. Um, it's by Brian Tracy. And in the book, Tracy talks about um, driving across the Sahara Desert. Now, um, it's, it's a journey that's claimed thousands of people's lives. And 
years and years and years ago, when the French were trying to travel across the Sahara Desert, they came up with a strategy. Every five kilometers, they dropped an oil barrel. Because when you're on the Sahara Desert, it's just flat, and there's just there's nothing there. But they dropped an oil barrel every five kilometers, because that's the curvature of the earth and what you can see. And so the, on the trail, still, as you take this dirt road across the desert, as you pass an oil barrel and you see it in your rearview mirror, you look out ahead and on the horizon you can see the next oil, oil barrel. And so you make for the next barrel. One barrel at a time. And that's how you cross the desert. As you pass a barrel, you find the next one on the horizon, and you make for the next barrel. The way that you traverse times of scarcity in your life is one small step at a time, one barrel at a time. And the way that God takes that ordinary and makes it the extraordinary is that when we work hard at each moment, at each step, God works through it all. You see, Ruth faced this time of scarcity while surrounded by other people who lived in abundance. You see, she knew what it meant to work hard and to live and to sacrifice. Ruth had already done so in her travels and, and living, in her, living into her commitment to Naomi. To fulfill that commitment, she had to care for herself and she knew that she would have to put in the time. She knew that she would have to put in the work if they were going to move beyond their current situation. If they were going to move forward, they had to move forward one step. Find a field to work in. Get permission from the harvesters. And then set to work. Work hard. Work so hard that the harvesters notice how hard she's working. So that when Boaz shows up, what does she say? She's working so hard. She hasn't even taken a break. Ruth endures each moment, traveling as though she were on this desert going barrel to barrel, putting all she has into what she has to do. It's as though Ruth is living out what Paul says in Colossians 3.23. It's like she's living out what he says, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. It's though Ruth is actually working for God in what she's doing. I envision Ruth praising God for every grain of barley that she gleaned off the ground. I could see, I literally see Ruth on the ground. There's one. Thank you, God, for one. One step at a time. And here's the neat thing. While, work, while Ruth was working diligently in the ordinary situation of just picking up one grain, one stalk of grain at a time, God was working in an extraordinary way. Ruth was making one step at a time, one small step here, one small step here, but God was preparing and working in enormous and extraordinary ways through the entire process. You see, God was at work with Boaz, well before, as Boaz had hired these workers, as God worked in Boaz's life to hire workers that would even accept a Moabite gleaner on their field. 
who would know who Ruth was and Naomi was. While Ruth was searching for a field, God guided her path. When Ruth approached the harvesters, they knew who she was and knew that she had compassion for Naomi, and they welcomed her into the field. The list could go on and on about how God had worked in all of the situations leading up to this event. But while Ruth was working step by step through her scarcity, God was working extraordinarily through the entire situation. And like Ruth, our ordinary requires us to take one step at a time and to work hard through them. And as we do, God works extraordinarily through it all. And God shows up in the ordinary. And so we have to be vigilant to keep watch. We have to keep watch in the ways that God, God's extraordinary shows up. So Ruth went looking for food, right? Ruth's purpose was to go to this field and get food because she was hungry, right? That's what she was there to do. She wasn't looking for anything else. Boaz came to check on his workers, to check on his harvest. As the owner of the field, he was checking on his business. He was doing his due diligence as a business owner. But here's the thing. God uses people to move and influence our lives just as well as, he, as the leading of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we think that things happen because of luck or fate or coincidence. But I'll tell you, I, my dad is... He gives sagely advice, and, and he always says that coincidence is just the way that God chooses to disguise himself. And I truly believe that. I don't put a whole lot of stock into coincidence anymore. It's, it's never really panned out for me. You see, Ruth, this is what happened. Ruth fell at his feet, at Boaz's feet, and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness, she asked. I am only a foreigner. Yes, I know, I know Boaz replied, but I also know about everything you have done for, my, for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and mother and your land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wing you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. I hope and continue... To, I hope I continue to please you, sir, she replied. You have com comforted me by speaking so kindly to me, even though I am not one of your workers. At mealtime, Boaz called to her, Come over here and help yourself to some food. You can dip your bread into the sour wine. And she sat with his harvesters, and Boaz gave her some roasted grain to eat. And she ate all she wanted and still had some left over. When Ruth went back to work again, Boaz ordered his younger men, let her gather grain right among the sheavers without stopping her, and pull out some heads of barley from the bundles and drop them on purpose for her. Let her pick them up, and don't give her a hard time. This is how God works from the ordinary into the extraordinary, and then back again. We bless others. God, God's blessings flow to us and then through us and then back again. 
You see, Ruth's journey to Bethlehem began with a commitment to Naomi to go where she went, to worship Naomi's God, to stay with her people. And Ruth committed to being a blessing to Naomi, her mother-in-law. Even though when she went back to Bethlehem, Naomi openly said that she was displeased. And she was bitter and was backbiting to Ruth. And rightly so. Her husband had died. Her sons had died. And Ruth was this constant reminder of that tragedy. This daughter-in-law, Ruth, just reminds me of all that I've lost. But Ruth persevered one step at a time, and she continued to pour herself out for Naomi and, during what ne- and did what needed to be done. And Ruth was a blessing to Naomi, and that blessing did not go unnoticed to God's eyes, in God's eyes, nor in the eyes of the people around her. Boaz offered Ruth a blessing. He said, stay in my fields. He said, eat with my workers. It is a blessing for Ruth, Boaz is a blessing, is blessing Ruth because Ruth blessed Naomi. And this is not a story of what goes around comes around. This is, this is not some cliched karma, you know, of good things happen because you do good things. It is a biblical reality of, of God's blessing and abundance. And it surfaces repeatedly throughout Scripture. As we pour out blessings on others, God's blessings flow out on us as well. It's just as God said to Abraham in Genesis 12, I will bless you and you will be a blessing to others. This is not the first time that God blesses so we can bless others. This is a repeated event throughout the history of God's interaction with humankind. We are blessed to be a blessing. That blessing is not a return of investment. Ruth did not give Naomi grain and then receive grain. Ruth committed her life to God and to care for her mother-in-law, placing her faith in God, trusting in God, and God provided a blessing in her life. Ruth was blessed because she had been a blessing. And the same is true when we bless others in our life. And here's the awesome reality that we live in. God, God sends each of us that blessing. God sends each of us a redeemer. So Ruth gathered barley all day. All day. This takes place in a day. Right, it feels like this should be like a week of work, but this is, this is a day, one day. She beat out the grain, and it filled an entire basket. And when she got home, she showed it to Naomi, and Naomi was amazed and wanted to know where she had found a field to work in because you don't get a basket of grain from gleaning. So Ruth told her mother-in-law about the day and the man named Boaz, and then Naomi said, May the Lord bless him. Naomi told her daughter-in-law, He is showing this kindness to us as well as to your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family's redeemers. So with Naomi's blessing, Ruth worked in, the, in Boaz's fields, gathering grain through the barley harvest. Then she worked through the wheat harvest, and things seemed to be turning around for Ruth and Naomi. Boaz had saved the day, one of the family's redeemers. When hardships come in life, we all want someone to come in and save the day, Right? 
be great if someone came and saved the day. Whether it's our home situation, the community, our employer, the schools, the government, or any other group that may arise under hard times. We look for the knight in shining armor to save the day, except that's not the way that life tends to happen, is it? Boaz blessed Ruth, Ruth blessed Naomi, and next week we'll see what happened with that relationship. But for now, we need to recognize that while we may desire a modern-day Boaz to save our day, God has a plan for our lives that is already set in motion in the way that God takes our ordinary desire for an earthly redeemer and turns it into the extraordinary is found in the reality that he has already sent the only redeemer that we truly need. You see, often we seek an earthly redeemer, a Boaz, but God has already sent our eternal redeemer. We read about this unconditional love in John 3, 16 and 17, and I know we read this to kids, but I want you to hear it this morning because it's so exceptionally important to our lives and understanding the extraordinary that God has already provided in our lives, which says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. It is easy to forget that God has already sent the solution to, most, to the most significant conflict that we could ever face, the state of our eternal soul. And we need to remember to not lose sight of our eternal redeemer for the sake of a potential earthly redeemer. Most of us will never have a Ruth Boaz moment. Each, each one of us will have an, but each of us will have an opportunity to be saved by the grace of God through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So I invite you at this time to open your worship folder. Um, and above the calendar, you'll find the next steps. And I just want to walk through these with you for a moment. And the first next step says identify your barrel, the barrel you are currently passing as you pass by. Find the next barrel on the horizon and head straight for it. And just like the oil oil barrels that were left by the French on the Sahara Desert, I challenge you to begin to look at the challenges in your life that you are facing. And And I challenge you to take them one at a time to take them one at a time. What is the step that you are on right now? What are you currently doing right now? And as you complete that step this week, I challenge you to celebrate that one thing. To say, good job, self. But celebrate that one thing as you pass it by. And then look at the next step, just one. What's the barrel on the horizon that you're, that you're aiming for? What's the one step that you need to take this week? And I challenge you to head towards that next step, that next barrel. The second thing is to become a blessing in someone's life. Choose one person to bless this week. Because we bless others, and God's blessings flow to and through us. God said, I am blessing you so that you can be a blessing. That's what God said to Abraham. God blessed Ruth as Ruth blessed Naomi. Choose one person in your life that you can directly bless 
this week. And that blessing can be any form. I'm not talking about financial blessings. I'm talking about any kind of blessing, any ability that you have. If you are a plumber and you know someone who needs plumbing help, help them. Thank you, Ed, wherever you are. If you have a skill set, help someone in that skill set. If you have compassion for kids, give someone a free date night. Right? If you have a skill set, use it to bless someone, something that you're blessed at. Just one thing to bless another person this week. It doesn't have to be hard for you, but it can change someone else's life. You have been blessed to be a blessing. So bless someone this week. The last thing is make your choice. You are, are you waiting for Boaz or are you waiting for Jesus? The last thing I challenge you to do is I want you to reflect upon your life. Take some time in silence and reflection and I want you to make it the decision from this moment on, are you going to, to be waiting for your Boaz, your earthly redeemer, are you going to be waiting for your buyout, the person that's going to come in and save your day? Or are you going to put your faith and trust in your eternal Savior and trust that God is going to see you through? One of those ways will have eternal consequences and can change the trajectory of your life. Let this week be different because of what you heard. And let Ruth's story become more than just a story in your life. Let the Holy Spirit work in you through this week. Don't just think about these next steps. I challenge you to do them. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for being with us in our ordinary, everyday lives. Like Ruth, Lord, we desire to be a blessing to the people around us. Help us to see the ways that we can bless others in our lives. We seek to keep our eyes on only your Son and our Savior, Jesus the Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.